Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Redeemer. It's good to be with you, and I want to welcome everyone joining us online or watching On Demand in the future. We're glad you're with us. I have really good news. Today, we are halfway through our Romans sermon series, and everyone said, amen. It's been a long summer. Actually, we're actually halfway through our summer now. Did you know that? And I think it's 75 days until the first day of fall, and you have 169 days until Christmas. So start planning and doing your shopping now. Today, we have the privilege of being in chapter 8. And if you're keeping up in our Romans devotional, you should be on pages like 87 to 90. And I just wanted to highlight three of the brilliant writers in this section Um, that did work on this. Brandon Geister, Mr. Brandon Geister wrote in this, as well as Pastor Adam Barnett and a choir member extraordinaire, Mark Wilkin. And I just want you to know, this has been a huge challenge for our church, and I'm so proud of Redeemer for putting the time and energy into a resource like this. So I hope you're enjoying it and reading it and getting a lot out of it every single week. Um, If you've missed a couple of weeks because of travel or summer plans, um, I have done a Cliff Notes version for you of chapters 1 through 7. So here it goes, super quick. In chapter 1, we realized the challenge between God versus our sin. In chapter 2, God's law is highlighted, but instead of it helping, it actually highlights our sin even more. And then in chapter 3, we realized that all have fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 4, the greatest patriarch, Abraham, we see that he is not saved by his own merits, but only justified through faith in God. And like Abraham, all who believe God's promises have peace with God. That's chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, we move from right standing to right living um, in God's amazing grace. And last week, Dave Brown so eloquently preached on chapter 7, and then highlighted the doom loop. Does anybody remember last week the doom loop? Um, The struggle that we have with sin, and he left us in a to-be-continued status. So today, we finally arrive in chapter 8, and it's a turning point in the letter that Paul is writing to the Romans. Now, here's a true confession. I am not much of an athlete or a runner by, by any stretch of the imagination. I barely survived the three-mile required fun run at my alma mater, ORU. Does anybody know about the fun run? It's terrible. And I've talked to a few of my friends who actually call this sport fun, and I call it torture. Um, but it was, it's interesting that they talk about this moment in their run where they get a second high, a second wind, or a runner's high, and it pushes you forward to the end of the race. Has anyone experienced this phenomenon in the room? Not me, because <laughs> my, my three miles is my record, and it doesn't happen in the three miles, I'll tell you that. Hopefully today, we will experience a second wind as we go into the second half of Romans, and we go upward and onward in Christ Jesus, and we see the hope that Paul is talking about. Let's read Romans 8, 
1 through 4 together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now I have to back up because of a word that's in that first sentence, therefore. We have to ask the question, what is it therefore? And scholars rarely agree with the interpretation of chapter 7. Sorry, Dave Brown. Um, He had to preach this last week. But the therefore either goes back to Romans 7, 6 for the logical connection of being released from the law and now living in the new way of the Spirit, or it's connected to the last half of chapter 7, which describes the ongoing struggle between sin and freedom, or perhaps both. Thanks, theologians, for the continued unresolved debate on chapter 7. Eugene Peterson even says at the beginning of chapter 7, the heading is um, struggling, torn between one way and another. Have you ever known someone in your life that can argue two sides of an issue in the exact same breath? Don't look at your neighbor. Um, I have someone in my life that does that too. Um, I feel like this is kind of what Paul is doing in Romans 7. He's showing both sides of the theological coin, life and death law and sin, with glimpses of freedom and the new way of the Spirit. I'm going to read the last part of chapter 7 for some context. And in this short passage, Paul uses the words do and do not 23 times in six verses. And yes, I've already counted for you, but just to keep me honest, I'm going to invite my daughter up, Bella, and she's going to help us count this morning as we read in chapter 7, starting in, are you ready? Verse 14, here we go. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I was to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. How are we doing? Ten so far. Okay. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. (laughs) Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. 23? All right. Thank you. I think I was right. You can go down. Yeah. (laughs) I get it, Paul. We are conflicted. We are human We are flawed, and we are in a battle. But this isn't our final home. That's the good news. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus reminds his disciples that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. I just thought we might need a refresher course in our desperate, desperate need for a new way of spirit-empowered living. Thank goodness, or as Paul often says, thanks be to God that we don't do this work in our own strength, because we cannot do it. And now we arrive in beautiful chapter 8, which is the focus this morning. I want to read verses 1 and 2 again. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, to understand this passage even more, we look back, but we also look forward, and we look at the word condemnation for a definition. And this word actually means more in the Greek than it does in our English common usage. In English, to be condemned can simply mean someone speaking harshly to you or disagreeing with you strongly. But in the Greek, it is both a declaration of guilt and the sentence for it, both a pronouncement and a punishment. And this type of condemnation described in Romans would lead to a sentence of eternal death. But there's this little tiny word in front of condemnation, two letters, N-O, that dictate our entire destiny. No condemnation, no declaration of guilt, no eternal punishment. Could there be a more beautiful negative in all the world? We are not guilty. We are not punished. Our status is not to be retried or re-adjudicated. We're not getting a new judge or a new jury. It is God, the final judge, who declares us righteous because of Jesus' work in our place. Um, John 8.36 says this, and we sang it this morning. So if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free. You will be free indeed. Now, don't get too excited because there is something connected to this get out of jail free card that we're talking about this morning. And it happens in the rest of that verse. The condition for no condemnation is for those who are in Christ Jesus, say, for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean for you and me? How do we live abiding in Christ? And Adam talked about being birthed into this a few weeks ago. What does it look like to be in Christ Jesus? My husband, our daughter Bella, and I went on a trip recently to visit beautiful Sedona, Arizona. And it didn't take long to realize that there were some different guidelines in building codes in the city. Our first hint was when we drove by the McDonald's, and the golden arches were not yellow. They were turquoise. It's the only McDonald's, I think, in America that had to change the color of their golden arches to turquoise, according to Sedona City Code. You cannot build a building more than two stories tall so that everyone can see the beautiful mountains surrounding this beautiful town. And it's considered a dark city, which means there's all these lighting regulations so that that residents at night can look up at the starry sky and see the beautiful stars. And if you are building in this area, no matter how much money you have or who you are, you still have to abide by the code. Even the exterior color scheme, you still have to abide. In fact, I saw a house, houses, several houses built by two people, Oprah Winfrey, Madonna. Guess what? They had to follow the code too. It didn't matter who they were, how much money, they had to do it. So what am I, where am I going with this besides warning you about building in Sedona, Arizona? If we, if we are to live in Christ Jesus, abiding in him, there are some regulations that will be adapted in our lives. But not in our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's our building supervisor. He's our chief architect. Here, there's a different way of living in Christ, 
abiding in him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Sin has no place in this zip code. It's called the way, functioning under the law of the Spirit. In this place, there is life-giving freedom in our spiritual township and lordship of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? It's a different way of living. Let's continue reading in Romans 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the incarnation, and everyone in the room can now let out a sigh of relief. Why? Because Jesus came in the flesh to condemn sin for us, to change our human depraved story. Our flesh does not bear the penalty anymore. It's the heart of the gospel. Listen to Galatians 4.4 that says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law so that he could adopt us. In other words, redeem those under the law as his very own children. We're talking about Jesus, the second of the Godhead, divine, real flesh, Yet he was sinless. He was perfection. And he did the work that no mere human being could do to be condemned for sin by God, but for us. That's why we're adopted into this family. The law weakened by the flesh can't do this work. In fact, the law in condemning sin can only and always get a verdict of guilty. Say guilty can only and always get a verdict of guilty. That's all the law can do, and it does. Because law-breaking, according to the law, always receives condemnation. But God had a plan, and this is not a plan B. He knew that the law was going to fail, and he made the A plan, the way. Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law was always intended to lead us back to Christ. God rescued us out of our mess. And you can say amen there. Author David Wells said it this way, God's holy love rescues us from God's holy wrath. No condemnation as we live in Christ. And instead of the accuser condemning us, now we have the Holy Spirit who convicts us so gently guiding us, kind of like our GPS, guiding, redirecting, recalculating our route. Have you heard this? Make a U-turn. Yeah? But the destination never changed, did it? We were just got a little off track. And the Holy Spirit has a way of convicting, not condemning. Conviction, not condemnation. Now, some of us might still be living under the old code the old city code of condemnation, which is the law of sin of death, our old master, instead of changing to life and freedom according to the Spirit, who is our new master. And condemnation comes from a lot of different places, but I'm going to start with me. Self-condemnation. Our own heart can and will condemn us. First John 3 says it this way, for whenever 
our heart condemns us. Notice the word whenever. It's going to happen. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. We've kind of wrestled this with this all the way through Romans. We can be our worst enemy. Craig Rochelle recently wrote a book, Winning the War in Your Mind, and he says this, most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. In other words, we can be the greatest barrier to our own spiritual growth and freedom that has already been provided by the Spirit of God working in our lives. The whispers of past sins, not being good enough, the lies that we often rehearse in our head, they need to be silenced. We no longer have to justify our existence as being smart enough, right enough, good enough, because we are now justified through faith. We don't have to sit in self-condemnation anymore. That's a trap of the enemy. You and I will never, ever be good enough. In fact, let's say it. I will never be good enough. Say it. I will never be good enough. Say it again. I will never be good enough. There is freedom in that statement right there. What you just said is freeing. We need to learn to live in our new spiritual reality, which is that God is enough, not you. It's God. He is our strength even when I feel personally weak. In fact, it's a good position to be in, according to 2 Corinthians 12. Listen to these words. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So when we feel weak, we are in a position of power, Holy Spirit power. And this is when and where Christ can show up the best in our lives. A second place that condemnation comes from is others. Pastor Adam preached a few weeks ago about one of the areas that Christians struggle with the most. Does anyone remember what he said? This is a test, by the way. I'm joking. Here's his statement. We often focus on other people's sanctification process instead of focusing on our own. I'll go a step further and say that we can also condemn others as we evaluate their sanctification process instead of first and foremost looking at us. We are all in a process, and we have definitely not arrived. Remember Luke 6.42 when Jesus said, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Way back in Romans chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, Paul makes this interesting list of what it looks like living in sin. And it's not a list you want to be on, trust me. It's people like gossipers and slanderers and wicked people, evil, greedy, depraved, and the list just goes on and on and on. And right out of this list of horrors, Romans 2, verse 1, he says this, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, 
Do you, will, will you escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, the forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In chapter 8 of John, we see Jesus in another act of condemnation brought to him by some spiritual leaders of his day. And Jesus takes a really interesting approach to this moment. Um, He caught them in an extreme act of condemnation. And they wanted to stone a woman for her sin according to the law. And before you say, yeah, she was a sinner, so she deserved condemnation, listen to how Jesus handles the situation. Here's the setup. Jesus is teaching in the temple as he often did, and people are gathered around, and the religious leaders are just getting more and more angry. They're not happy about this. And they're trying to trap Jesus, so they had a basis for accusations and punishment against him. And this day is no different. So they brought this woman who had been caught in adultery and said in John 8, 3, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Now watch the responses of the men making these accusations. It says in verse 9, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Maybe they were wiser, or maybe they had more sin, I don't know. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. If anyone had the right to condemn her. It was the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And he not only had no condemnation, he made it a teaching moment. He made it a redeeming moment in her life to leave the old life behind and choose a new way, the narrow path. My friends, we are not that much different. We don't deserve what we have received, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We can't justify it. We can't earn it. We can't serve two masters. We have to choose life and freedom if we're going to abide in Christ. This is a teachable, redeemable moment for each of us in this room. There's one more category I want to talk about, about someone who condemns us, and it's the accuser. Yes, we still live in a very evil world, and the evil one is up to his original task as primary accuser. In 1 Peter 5, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase says this, Keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Is anyone napping? I hope not. Wake up. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on your faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. 
Now, we all know how this ends, right? We've read the book, but sometimes we need a reminder that our God gets the last word on all of this. Thank goodness for that. John in Revelation 12 reminds us of what's going to happen. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Bottom line, Satan loses this battle. We win. Yes, we're in a spiritual battle, but God gets the last word, not the accuser. God does. Now this morning, instead of a song of response, I wanted to conclude by reading some scriptures over all of us in this place. One thing I've learned in ministry is that the word of God is way more powerful than anything that I could say. So let these scriptures fill us up with encouragement We are on this journey together, and we are all vulnerable to falling into the trap of self-condemnation or condemning or receiving condemnation from others. You may even want to close your eyes in this moment and just receive the words in the scripture. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in compassion and loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, as we deserve, nor rewarded us with punishment according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear and worship him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 34, 22. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. How are you feeling this morning? I want to build us up in the word of God so we are stronger spiritually when we leave this place because we are in a battle. Do you feel that? We are in a battle, but there is power and healing and restoration in the word of God. Don't condemn yourself. Don't condemn others. And if you have a handful of rocks this morning, if you have a pocket full of rocks, I want you to pull them out. This handful of rocks you've been carrying around, stones of accusation and condemnation, maybe towards yourself or towards others, I just encourage you to drop them right now at the feet of Jesus. You don't have to carry the weight, and it is a weight, of condemnation around any more. His way is way better than yours. Let's pray. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask for you to do what only you can do, which is minister to the hearts of your people, God. We may be blind. We may have a plank in our own eye and not even see what we're trying to do, God. Help us to release the rocks, these stones of accusation that are in our lives, God. Help us be free, living in you, abiding in you like never before, God. 
There is freedom in this life as we learn to live in you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives, not just in this moment, but as we leave this place. Go with us. Speak with us, God. Say the words of life that we need to hear as we go Monday through Sunday. God, we need to hear from you. We don't want to do this on our own. We cannot do this in our own strength. So thank you for the strength of the Holy Spirit that goes with us from this place. It's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. I think this is a really fun way to end as a benediction. I want us to say a scripture together, Romans 8, 1 through 2, so that we can take it with us all week long, Monday through Sunday. Let's say this together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Go from this place with the second wind empowered by the Holy Spirit to run the race in front of us, free of condemnation and living fully abiding in Christ Jesus. Go in peace. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.